Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. What's going on in here in this studio? Like, I was sort of focused on logging in, getting ready for the show. TV guy, big fancy TV guy is in here, Chris Eggert. Beautiful hair, nice-looking shirt, face full of TV makeup. And behind me now are three chairs and a stool, all directly. What is – were there – did he just have, like, an audience in here clapping? I mean, you know, you got a lot of places to sit down now, which is nice. These TV people make me sick. What is it with these TV people who think they can just come into a radio station and do a show because they're so famous on TV? It's insulting to those of us who really care about this medium, the theater of the mind, if you will. Uh, Welcome to Drive Time with Derusha. So that's what kind of show it's going to be today? Okay. Maybe. Okay. Maybe. I'm a little salty today. And some of you are saying, today? Like, that seems to be the bit. Um, teenagers need to get a dang do- job. Get a dang job. Should I try that again? I was going to say, you could, you will just it's fine. I just it. was thrown off by the chairs. Know, the chairs have really got you discombobulated. Uh, three, two, one, it will edit it out and post prod. It'll be fine. Teenagers need to get a dang job. I went to a Skyway restaurant for lunch today, Valley Deli. I was talking with one of the owners there, Joyce. And Joyce was lamenting the fact that she didn't have enough people working there. And I said, Joyce, what do you think the problem is? Is it pay? What, what happened to the workers? And she said she didn't know. She's like, it's an interesting issue. It's an interesting challenge. I saw a story today in the Washington Post that said Gen Z is bringing back the part-time job while you're in high school. I believe every high school kid should have a part-time job. I started working when I was 13 years old. The sense of responsibility of The fact that others are counting on you, the fact that money has value, the difference between wants and needs when it comes to spending your money, which is what my parents made me do, all of that, I think, helped make me a better person. It's stuff you can't learn in a classroom. It's stuff that you can't really read in a book. When you get off your butt and go work, it makes a difference. This, at one point, was a controversial statement as parents had kids who were so busy. And I get it, right? You got kids going to one sporting event, one theater practice. You've got this family responsibility. You've got that AP class, this tutoring appointment to try to study for some exam. 651-461-9226. I would rather 
that my kids' grades suffer a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit, in exchange for the lessons learned in a job. Do you agree or do you disagree? 651-461-9226. I really think had a job uh, changed my life. Let's talk to Bill in a car. Bill called 651-461-9226. Appreciate it, Bill. What do you think about young people getting a job? Well, I can tell you this, Jason. I actually had two jobs Hmm. when I was in high school. Um, But I'm a a high school teacher, and part of my job is actually to get students both internships and jobs. Some are paid, some are not, but for their high school career. And uh, about halfway through the day, they will leave their conventional high school, and then they will go and do different internships. Um, What what kind of internships, what kind of jobs, Bill? Yeah, so some of our kids uh, go to different, like, there's a couple of kids that do a coffee shop in Egan called Zandela Coffee Shop. A couple of our kids go to downtown Minneapolis to Hayworth Media and Marketing. So it, it really varies on wow. what the kid's interest is. That's so um, cool. It, yeah, it's, it's, it's literally life-changing for these kids. And you know what? We're not, these are not always AP kids. They're not your A, B kids. Some of these kids are C kids. I love it. But they're going to they're gonna see you in their future career because hmm. they're going to have those personal skills yeah. that, that what, what we're looking for, which, frankly, what, what people in careers are looking for, they're not always looking for five-paragraph essays. They're looking for <laughs> kids to show up. Yeah. They're looking for what, what can I do next um, and, and how do I better myself. And, and i got to say, Gen Z gives me hope because those kids have, have that figured out more than any generation I've taught so far. Isn't that interesting, Bill? Because I've seen that with my kids compared to uh, the millennial generation right before them. And I don't blame millennials, uh, although this is, you know, a very popular thing in the media to do, right? We all blame the millennials for everything. But I I sort of blame the parents who had this idea that, like, Precious has to be singularly focused on a sport or an art or their grades. And this idea that they would work was seen as like a little bit of a distraction. And I I just think that's wrong. I think the lessons you learn from work, and boy, it gives me hope uh, when you're saying that you're you're seeing the the C kids out there because who knows what spark might be lit uh, for some of those kids where maybe, maybe just the academic structure of school is not for them. Well, that's, I mean, COVID should have taught us that school can and should be done differently hmm. based on what, what the students' needs are. And, you know, I'm actually an English language arts teacher, and, and my students that are in this program, they get an English language arts credit because the things that I teach them, like we do research projects, but we do research projects on, like, generations in the workforce. Huh. And, you know, the, the stories that we read, so we read Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, and my kids were like, this is the coolest thing I've ever read in school. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, right? Yeah. You know, and so uh, it's that kind of academic freedom that, that I'm given and that kind of sort of workforce push that our students are getting, which I think makes the program so successful. That's cool. What's, what school are you at, if you don't mind saying? Yeah, I, I teach at Simile High School, but the program right. I'm, I'm teaching, it, it's the CAPS program. So we service students from uh, South St. Paul, mm. Two Rivers, District 197, and then also Simley, which is, which is interesting when there's sports 
that are happening because sometimes one team will beat the other. We literally have two football players in the class <laughs> from from each district, and and they've you know, but they're super friendly in the classroom. They're they're ready to go. Yeah. Which again, I mean. Sometimes we have to work with Packers fans, right? Yes. And we just it's hard. Them. It hurts. It's difficult, but we, we have to fight through it. We have to. Right. Life, life skills all the way around in our program, my friend. Bill, I like it. Thank you for what you're doing uh, with that next generation. And I, I, I feel that same hope with this, this younger generation. I appreciate it. Thanks, Bill. It is part of the uh, data that came out in this report because more Gen Z high schoolers are making their way into the workforce. Washington Post saying, if you look at now and compare it to before the pandemic, at least a quarter million more teenagers are working. 37% of 16, 17, 18, 19-year-olds have had a job or were looking for one last year. That is the highest rate since uh, you go back to uh, 2009. That's sort of when things changed. 2009, you had about 42% of those kind of 16 to 19-year-olds working. And then in 2011, it dipped all the way down to 34%. So we're still below where we were in 2009, but 2009 was a long time ago. You're talking 15 years ago. I think it's good. I think it's good. I'm not saying that young people need to work 20 hours a week necessarily. You can have a summer job and maybe find a job where you pick up a couple hours here, a couple hours there. You don't want to send them to the mines? I'm tempted. (laughs) (laughs) I don't mean your kid. I'm just saying in general. You know, Sam works for a restaurant. It was a summer job. Sam was going to quit when the school year came around. And instead, he said, can I work on Sundays? And, like, you could call me to fill in if you have an emergency or something. But, I, you know, I'm, I play soccer. I'm busy. I have school, all of this. And Sam works once a week. Some, You know, on a break, he'll fill in more. Like, during winter break, he worked more. But I just think that I, that work ethic you learn the responsibility, the time management, it's its priceless. Did he say why he changed his mind on that? What was it? That- so he did it sort of as a test first where okay. it was like, all right, let's see if I can do it mm-hmm. without like feeling overwhelmed because different kids. Yeah. I'm not saying this is for every kid. I am saying it's for most kids. Right. And I think parents of my generation and older were too cautious too cautious about protecting kids. You work your whole life. You don't need be a kid. But the truth is, like, you need to work. You need to understand. And you can kind of dip your toe in, I think, without it completely taking over your life. Well, that's what I started trying to get at with that question is, was it a matter for him of, hey, I kind of like having a little extra money to play yes, with? For is sure. It, no, I actually like having this as part of my life or, you know, is it, it was both. And it was, I will say this. It was the fact that the place he works at was so flexible to allow him to work one shift. A lot of places in the past were not. And maybe that's the difference. I'd love to hear from, from you, what you think the difference is. Why are we seeing the shift in Gen Z getting back to work? I think part of it 
is because of exactly what I ran into at lunch today, which is employers are screwed. And because the workforce doesn't have enough people in it, they are forced not only to be flexible with the rest of us, but also with younger workers. Keep the calls and texts coming. Lots of good things here at 651-461-9226. More drive time continuing in a minute. Get a job, teenagers. That's what we told our kids. I One of our texters wants to know how I started working when I was 13. It's a story that involves skirting labor laws in Illinois. I mean, I grew up in suburban Chicago. We viewed those type of laws as like a mild suggestion. Yeah. Which is odd because usually in Illinois, everybody's so on the up and up and no laws get broken anytime ever. So that's really kind of amazing. My first job was as a park district basketball referee. I was 13 years old. The guy who ran the league was my junior high social studies teacher, Stoney. Stoney saw me there helping my dad coach my brother's team. He comes up and says, Derusha, do you know the rules? And I'm like. This is the moment this terrible athlete who loves sports has been waiting for my entire 13 years of existence. Do I know the rules? My God, I have a copy of the basketball rule book at my house. So he gave me a whistle and he said, how old are you? I said, 13. He's like, when do you turn 14? I said, (laughs) January. It was November. He He says, I'll pay you in January. And I said, all right, 335 an hour. Oof. Those were the days. Those were the days. Did you did you get paid in January? I did oh, indeed. Okay. okay. Taxters at 651-461-9226. My kids started working at 14. They learned more about maturity and adulthood. What matters more after graduation? They might get into that one college, but then what? They haven't learned how to help themselves or uh, responsibility. Another texture points out, and this is the key point, right? When you say, okay, what changed? And, and this is interesting to me. Is it that millennials were lazy? Is it that millennial parents were coddling them? Is it something different about Gen Z? Or is it that the labor market is so tight that employees, employers have no choice but to be flexible and welcome teenagers to help. And so teenager, a, a lot of economists say that teenagers in general like to have spending money. They like to work. Yeah. So when there are jobs, teenagers will work. When the market is tight, they will not. And I generally accept that, but I don't think it's accurate to say the job market has been exceedingly tight from 2010 until 2022. I don't think that's true. I think that's part of the story. How how difficult it is now is part of the story. But I do think there are some differences generationally, and perhaps parents have figured out that uh, we were leaning too far towards obsessive extracurriculars, uh, trying to, to, you know, burden up, build up that college application mm-hmm. and that having a gig, even even a day or two, I'm not saying, and even if it's just a summer job, even if it's just a summer job, I think that's a big deal. 
you hit on a couple of things there that I want to kind of coalesce into a singular point that talking about generational differences and talking about workplace flexibility, because I do think we're in a sort of cultural shifting point where like our generation, Gen X and generations before us were always taught to view a job as something you were lucky to have. Hmm. And I think generations that have come after us are sort of shifting in this mode of saying, well, okay, but you know, the jobs are also lucky to have workers as I think a lot of businesses would say right now. The businesses that are doing fine in terms of employee base look around and understand how fortunate they are to not get caught up in this labor crisis. And so it behooves businesses to start to understand that that shift is happening and to be as flexible as they possibly can in order to accommodate the busy life schedules yeah. of especially these kids. Right? You talked about kids that are super busy during the school year. Okay, so can you handle having a bunch of people that can maybe do a shift on a weekend or yeah. fill in occasionally right. during breaks? How flexible can you be? Because the more flexible you are, the bigger your labor pool is going to be. And in the labor market that's as tight as it is, you're just behooved to do that. And we can have a big philosophical discussion about who's lucky, the employee or the yeah. workplace. But yeah. the bottom line is here's where it's going. So, you know, figure it out. There is interesting, you know, this idea that like kids are spending more time on homework and extracurriculars. It's not just a fiction in our head. Pew Research looked at federal data and they do these surveys and uh, ask people basically, what do you do all day? What do you do with your time? And teenagers today spend twice as much time on homework than they did in the mid 1990s. So the truth is when when kids are filling out college applications, uh, Last year, when Seth was applying to colleges and we were on visits, they were encouraging the kids to put as an extracurricular their part-time job, to put it on the application. Um, Because I think if you make that choice as a kid, and now let's also acknowledge the fact that a lot of kids don't have a choice where you're working because your family is low income and you need to work. Um. But for kids who are in a circumstance where they're making a choice, to me, it's impressive. It's impressive. Uh, and colleges have to go along with that, too. Pretty interesting stuff. Another texter had a, has three boys that all held different jobs at Walmart when they turned 16. They're now 22, 26, and 28. And they've learned the value of money and appreciate things more knowing how hard you have to work for it. I like it. I like it. Good stuff. Get those kids to work. (laughs) 3.30. We're going to take a break. When we uh, come back, we are going to talk with Brian Truitt because the Oscar nominations came out today. And surprise, surprise, the actor who played Ken gets a nomination, but the actor who played Barbie did not. Typical. We'll talk to Brian Truitt in just a minute here on Drive Time. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. 
Oscar nominations are out today. For a lot of us, it's a, a reminder of movies that maybe we missed when they came out. Movies we were waiting, like, ah, are we going to watch this? Are we not? Some very popular films nominated, so I'm sure there are movies on this Best Picture list that you have seen this year. Lots of talk about whether Barbie got the women. The Barbie women were snubbed. Uh, let's talk to USA Today's movie critic, Brian Truitt, who joins us at the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. Brian, so good to visit with you today. Are, did did the director of Barbie, did the best actress, did they get uh, screwed in this deal, do you think? I mean, that's a, that's a harsh word. <laughs> snubbed, for sure. I mean, egregiously snubbed. Let's go with that. Snubbed. Um, you know, it's kind of funny that, like, you know, Barbie, Barbie knocks an Oscar nomination, but Ken does. It's kind of part of the movie. Yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, you know, <laughs> is it? You know, if you're the Oscars, and look, all of us look at this as an outsider, right? As if you're sitting around mm-hmm. in a room and you say, "Okay, who's going to be in? Who's going to be out?" But there's voting. It's not like, it, you know. The optics here are bad. Let me just say that. It looks terrible to have Ryan Gosling nominated and Margot Robbie, who who certainly was campaigning uh, for this nomination, uh, to have her snubbed. Yeah, I mean, it is. And it's, and it's, and it's weird that, because, you know, every year the, the Directors Guild has five people in their awards. You know, it's, and usually there are five people. Four, like every year, it's, it's weird. It's like clockwork. Four of those out of five make the five best director category. This year, it just happened to be Greg Gerwig for for whatever reason. So, but I wasn't. That was the one I wasn't expecting. I mean, I was expecting mm. maybe someone else to not get it because, you know, Barbie is held in such regard in Hollywood. I mean, you got Meryl Streep saying that Meryl, you know, Barbie saved us all. Barbie saved the movie theaters. Barbie right. saved everything. Right. So, so I am surprised. You know, especially with such a good movie that's popular amongst critics and fans and everybody like, like Oppenheimer, like it's little summer double feature buddy. Um, I was expecting Barbie to like kind of clean house a little bit more than it did, but you know, but uh, America Ferrera getting, getting a, a nomination. That was a great surprise. It doesn't make up for it, but like I've been, I've been hoping she was going to get some love throughout this whole season. And she finally does. So that's, that's at least a nice cherry on the Sunday, but yeah. like, but like the whipped cream's gone. <laughs> right, 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 right. America Ferrera nominated for best supporting actress. Uh, when you look at the best picture category, any any surprises for you? What stands out there? Not at all. Um, yeah. The only surprise that I and it's not really a surprise. So I was expecting the color purple to make it. Yes, it hasn't it hasn't done a whole. I mean, we've had Fantasia Brino kind of in the best actress conversation. Danielle Brooks was kind of a shoe-in to get a supporting actress nomination. But I was expecting, because it's a musical, because it's kind of a, a remake of a Best Picture favorite from, you know, almost 40 years ago, I did feel like, okay, well, it probably has a chance, because Oscars love musicals, and it had a SAG cast ensemble nomination to it. But it didn't. And, 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 and I, you know, I feel like it sh- probably should have, but, like, that, 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 
top 10 best pitchers on any list, that's pretty good. That's a pretty good list. I mean, you know, you could have done a lot worse than that list. And, and I feel like, you know, you, you are going to have some things that just don't make it sometimes. Sure. But yeah, last year was a really great year in film, and those 10 films are, are pretty darn good. So American Fiction, it. Anatomy of a Fall, Barbie, The Holdovers, Killers of the Flower Moon, Maestro, Oppenheimer, Past Lives, Poor Things, which I just saw and is such a, such a strange, strange movie. It, it is. It is a kind of movie that you critics. It's a kind of movie critics love, and it is. It my is. my wife wanted to shut it off twenty minutes in, and I'm like, well, maybe we didn't really know the plot or it. It was like, well, maybe she's gonna like. Let's see what happens to her, and I'm glad we watched it. But ooh, weird one. Yeah, I, my editor. I was gonna. I, I gave her a screener to watch because, and I'm like, you're gonna hate it. I know you're gonna hate it. And like. After what she's like, yeah, I didn't like it much. I'm like, I, I figured. <laughs> uh, we are talking with the film critic for USA Today, Brian Truitt. The Oscars not, uh, nominees uh, announced this morning. Now, now, our producer on this show, Dan, did the Barbie Oppenheimer. I did the Barbenheimer on Saturday. Yeah. And I haven't seen oh, cool. ba- I have not seen Barbie yet. I did see Oppenheimer in uh, the theater. And I I thought that movie was was tremendous, and the best uh, the best actor uh, category has some incredible performances. But Cillian uh, uh, Murphy in that that role, I just thought he was phenomenal. Yeah, and Cillian Murphy's going to win that that Oscar. I mean, I feel like Paul Giamatti might give him a run, yeah. But I think Oppenheimer is going to roll a lot in a lot through a lot of these categories, like. Robert Downey Jr. is pretty much a lock to win. Yeah, I mean, but at the I just have so a good. career at a boy for him, yeah. and he's probably and he probably should have won one one you know for Iron Man. Who knows? But but I think I think Killian Murphy. I mean, that's he's never gotten a nomination before, which is stunning because he's such a good actor. Um, but like this is this is like his role. He owns this movie. You know, as much as anyone can own this movie, maybe other than Christopher Nolan, he owns this movie. Um, so I feel like he's probably he's probably going to take it just because he is so good. And that that movie has got so much momentum and behind it right now. Brian, I don't know if this is how you describe it, but when I was watching these films over the weekend, uh, Oppenheimer's the film that you hang on the wall in an art museum, right? I mean, it's just mm-hmm. artistically the way it's structured, the way it's shot, the way it's acted. It's just, you know, it, is it a movie you come out going that was just amazing entertainment? I don't know, but it was just brilliantly crafted and put together. If you have any appreciation for the medium of film at all, this is you know Exhibit A. But where I really think Greta Gerwig is, is getting snubbed when it comes to Barbie, Barbie was structured amazingly well, too. The way that that film was put together, you could do just a cheesy toy film if you wanted to, and that's not what Barbie was at all. And I feel like maybe there's just some dismissiveness of it because it's, because it's Barbie, right? And, and people would think of it maybe in that lighthearted way when what she did with that film, to me, is absolutely determined, uh, deserving of a Best, act, best Director nod. For sure. And you, know, you mentioned Oppenheimer, kind of the one you want to hang on the wall. Yeah. Barbie's the one you want to put in the basement and have your friends over to see exactly. it. Exactly. Like every week, every weekend. Because, like you mentioned, it is so good on so many levels. I don't think people understand how good it is. Because, I mean, it's, the, clip is, uh, the script is clever, the acting's great. The fact that she designed Barbie Land, every, like yeah. everything yeah. in Barbie Land was like handcrafted. And, like, there's no whites or blacks. Everything is just pink or, like, you know, like teal or, you know, like, pastel no, of you know, some it's, sort, yeah. it's just, 
Yeah, and it's just there's so much attention, you know, the detail of it is just amazing. And then, you know, you get to America Ferrer's monologue and, like, whether you're a dude or a woman, like, you're like, that was amazing. And there's, like, it's so many layers of goodness with that movie. And then the soundtrack's amazing, too. So there's so much that's good with that, but it's in a different way than Oppenheimer. It's, you know, Oppenheimer is like you're blown away by by all the filmmaking, the technical achievements you're watching, and you're like, you're left kind of like your soul's kind of crushed a little bit even after the three hours of that. But then, you know, you go and you see Barbie, and then your soul's back because you just filled with happiness. So it is, you know, as much as people like kind of like, Gave gave the whole Barbenheimer thing kind of you know it took offense to it, but like it's kind of amazing because they are polar opposites, but the, yet they do kind of work together in tandem. Thirteen nominations for Oppenheimer, uh, and, and when you look at Best Picture, as you wrote today in USA Today, you can read it online at usatoday.com. dot uh, com. Three of the films in the Best Picture category were directed by women, so that mm-hmm. that is a first time for that, also, right? Yep, it is. And only and, the, and it's you know it it took a while for just a Best Picture to be nominated that was directed by a woman, yeah. and it was you know it was pretty late in the ninety six year history of it. Um, and there's been a few times recently that you know two two um female, you know female directors have had have had movies and best picture this is the first time there's three and i and i think that's that's saying something i feel like you know the stories they're telling hollywood is telling are getting better and like you, you obviously see these these great directors are telling them stories telling these stories and people are, are responding to them both critics and fans like you said you know barbie very popular past lives you know I didn't love it. A lot of people did, and I, but and I understand why they loved it because it reaches a lot of emotion, universal emotions for people. And Anatomy of a Fall, I think people might not give it a chance because it's like oh, kind of a you know it's got subtitles and it's a French courtroom thriller. But man, it is it is a great film, and it is I mean it's it's just like it's a courtroom thriller slash domestic drama, all like in one kind of crazy cool gumbo and like i feel like people give that a chance they they love it because it's 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 kind of like it, it has a lot of stuff that we love just all in one package cool all right that's that answered what i was going to ask what is the next movie uh that i should see and it sounds like anatomy of the fall uh, of these oscar yeah. nominees would be your pick huh uh, yeah so so the zone of interest <laughs> that is a heavy movie i mean that is something you might want to think about. You know, it's it's a really, really good film. Yeah. You're not gonna to want to do anything after you see it for a while because it is just so heavy. But it's it's kind of it's amazing. Maestro's great. I mean, they're all really good. You know, the American fiction's great. The holdovers, I mean, I feel like that's kind of a holiday movie that, that you can watch at any time because it's it's so good. And you know, poor yeah. things, you didn't like that, but like you yeah. know, there, I think you know that's going to appeal to a lot of people who just like who like Frankenstein movies and strange and strange things. Yeah, yeah, very good, Brian. Thanks for the insight. We appreciate it. Uh, we'll talk with you soon, Brian Truitt from USA Today on the Oscar nominations out this morning. When we come back, I was the brutal victim of a Blois Olson drive-by on the morning take with Vanita this morning. What Blois had to say, why I'm just sitting at home, minding my business, attacked on my own radio station. We'll play it for you next.
So this morning on Vanita's show, Blois Olson, he's on every morning doing the morning take. And then I'm just, you know, listening at home and then hear this. I was listening to Jason yesterday, too, as everyone else should as well. That's nice. Uh, and he had a great topic yes. about should we just get rid of polling? Is there a way? Because mm. it's oh, shaped. This I know. is the dumbest statement you ever. Think, you think like, it's dumb? Okay, go ahead. Tell me. That, that, well, no, no, no. That's good talk radio. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Boys should have just stopped like, right there. Reaction. Stop okay. right there. That's okay, good talk radio. That's right. That's what we're doing, boys. I mean, after I said, we, what if we got rid of polling? We immediately said, well, you can't because it's First Amendment. What if you didn't report on it? But all right, keep going. Okay, go ahead. Tell me. Well, no, no, no. That's good talk radio. Okay? That's good, like, get a reaction. But I wanted to call in and just tell my friend, Jason, that just because it makes good talk radio doesn't make it a real topic. Quote, get rid of polling. <laughs> I believe Jason would believe in the First Amendment, and therefore you know, polling... Uh, for me, yes, for you, no. ...the First Amendment. Yeah. Polling mm-hmm. serves a purpose. What's happening and during these interviews, by the way? The door is opening and closing. The dog's like... The whole, like the collar is shaking. That's what happens when Blois broadcasts from the home You're office. You're going to tell me what's a good idea, yeah, what's Blois. a bad idea? Come on. Get some soundproofing down there. There's my afternoon take, buddy. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.